I have still not quite shook my illness. And so I have decided that instead of sweating like crazy, like I've done the last three times I've been up on the stage up there, I thought I'd stay down here tonight. So maybe I won't be uh, quite so hot when this is all said and done. I had multiple people pat me on the back and said, you are ringing wet this morning. So I apologize for that if you were one of the people uh, that, that did so. But uh, indeed, happy to have everyone here uh, with us this evening. Tonight, <clears throat> we've been a little bit out of whack uh, because of some calendar things. And I'm going to be gone uh, a couple times in June. So for this random one month, we have a second hymn sermon that we're going to do. We did one a couple of weeks ago, and we'll do another one here this evening. And as you noticed, or perhaps noticed, as Ben was leading the songs there, that tonight we're going to be talking about do all in the name of the Lord. It is not in our book. Um, so I would tell you to look for it, but um, if, you, uh, if you look, you'll spend the whole time looking, you won't ever find it. But <clears throat> this song is the 15th him sermon that we've done. But it's only the first that has been done by someone associated with the churches of Christ. I think we had a couple that were Christian churches, disciples of Christ, but, um, <clears throat> but not many with the churches of Christ. But I'll pull it a little closer. This person who wrote this song, the one that Ben just read, was named Austin Taylor. And he was born in 1881 in Butler County, Kentucky. So that's Morgantown. So it's about halfway between Bowling Green and Owensboro uh, is where that is. But he didn't live in Kentucky long. He moved to Texas as a fairly young man. While he was in Texas, <coughs> he served as a songwriter, a preacher, teacher, and singing instructor. And at a pretty young age, in 1905, he published his first songbook called The Gospel Messenger. I don't know if that's still floating around or not. I'd say some of y'all might have seen that somewhere. But The Gospel Messenger. <clears throat> In the early 1900s, very few churches had hymn books. In part because they were expensive. But also in part, most people couldn't read music. And some people couldn't even read at all. And so you sang songs that people would have been familiar with. And so this Taylor fellow sort of took it upon himself to start instructing people in singing. <clears throat> he began holding singing conventions in order to instruct song leaders of congregations on new songs that they could take to their home congregation and provide greater opportunities for people to be able to sing in their church. And so these songs that they would practice, they would then take them back. It wasn't, of course, too long after that that people would start getting books as well. From those conventions, Taylor eventually developed what was called the Texas Normal Singing School. <clears throat> the word normal there does not mean singing normal compared to abnormal. The word normal there is an educational term. You'll see a lot of older schools that were designed to make teachers. They're called normal schools. The Eastern Kentucky Normal College or Western Kentucky normal college. So normal meant that you were instructing teachers was what it was. 
That school still operates today. It's simply called the Singing School. It is nominally affiliated with Abilene Christian University in Texas, but it's really just housed there. The program is 50 hours in training in church music for song leaders, classroom teachers, and anyone else who would be interested in participating. I looked at their website the other night, and it said that even children could go. And it's like a week-long camp uh, for that. But there's all these people that go, but it's simply to instruct you to be a better song leader. So I don't know, maybe we all ought to go uh, down there to Texas. They might shut the school down after we showed up. That's the Florida's hours for us, right? But anyway, Taylor died in 1970 at the age of 89. But one of the most famous songs that he wrote was the song that we just sang, Do All in the Name of the Lord. Let's talk a little bit about this because the fundamental idea of this song is found in the last verse that Pat read just a moment ago. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Probably we've heard that verse numerous times over the years, but that's the basis of this song. We're encouraged to make sure that we do only that which pleases the Lord. But the question for us tonight is going to be, what does in the name of the Lord actually mean? Well, tonight we're going to look at, in this song, each of the four stanzas. And we're going to look at kind of a backwards approach to this, but things to avoid when trying to do things in the name of the Lord. Does that make sense for us right there? So we're going to look at four things to start with. The first verse, (coughs) if I can make it, the notes are here, Josh. If I fall over, you can come up here and uh, you can come up here and read them. All right. The first verse, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Do not in name of man or creed, do all in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, first of all, we have to make sure that the words we speak are sound words. What is a sound word? Well, you may have a definition of that, something that comes into your mind. But first Timothy, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter one, verse thirteen says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is similar to what he said when he said, imitate me as I am faith Christ. He's saying, what I am teaching you was taught to me by Jesus. I'm going to pass those things down to you. So when we are quoting or we are reading or we are saying things from the gospel, it needs to be sound in what it says. We have to make sure that the deeds and works we do are authorized by the scriptures. Think about that for a second. Whatever you do in word, spoken, but indeed action, right? So it's not just a spoken faith. It's not a spoken religion only, but it's also an action religion. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know these verses, right? And it is profitable for doctrine. So we can use that as the basis for our teaching. That's what we can do. 
That's the doctrine. Number two, for reproof. To reprove something is to go back and sort of check your work. I had a student this year. It didn't matter how long I gave him for a test. He wanted a little longer because he liked to go back and reprove that answer. Most of mine couldn't wait to get done. He would take the whole time. But he wanted to look over it to see, am I correct on this? Should we do that with the scriptures? Certainly so. For, for, for correction, we should use that to recognize the mistakes that we've made and say, I am at fault here. And it says here in such and such book, and such and such verse, that I need to change. I need to be corrected, as it were. For instruction in righteousness, when we help teach other people, that's where we should base it from. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, all of those things allow us to do deeds in the name of the Lord. It says there, what Paul writes there in 2 Timothy, that we're equipped for every good work. So there's some work that's required of us. <coughs> we can't simply just sit back and do nothing. We don't have a human creed. Most religions do. Most religions have some combination of the two. There may be a biblical, uh, biblical doctrine, but there may be a human creed that's been adopted Manipulated, changed over time. We don't have that. As we read in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men, renders our worship in vain. Think about that. Teaching in doctrine, the commandments of men. We have to make sure that our commandment that we teach comes from God, not from some group or some entity that perhaps existed in some other time. Second verse. Be not deceived by worldly greed. Do all in the name of the Lord. The Spirit says in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Is it possible to be deceived in religion? I think we asked that question a couple of weeks ago. I feel like that's a fairly fresh topic from uh, not too long ago. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, we read, evil men... And impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, that book or that letter, 2 Timothy, was written 1900 and some odd years ago. It's been a while, right? It's an older book. But he says that it will grow worse and worse. And so the point is that Paul was making reference to it then. There were already people that were teaching things that were incorrect. But it's also fair to say that there would be more people that would be teaching things that were incorrect going forward as well. One of those things that can be a source of deception is worldly greed and covetousness. One of the things that has sprung up in the last 40 years or so within Christianity is the concept of prosperity gospel. You ever heard that term before, prosperity gospel? Well, In a distilled sort of nutshell, the idea is that financial blessing is God's will for Christians who have faith, positive outlook, positive speech, whatever you want to say, and perhaps more than anything else, religious donations. And so it's sort of give and it'll be multiplied back to you, but it's almost entirely a financial line of thinking. That would lead to prosperity. That's sort of where the teaching comes from. Well, 
Some preachers and teachers might profess to telling you God's word. I hope that every time I put one of these verses up here, that you look at it, that you cross-check it, that you reference it, that you reprove if that were to be the case. But in reality, sometimes that preacher is striving to separate you from your church, from fellow Christians, and oftentimes from your money. There's this desire to sort of gain from it. Remember that? What was that a few years ago? The guy said he needed another airplane to be able to fly around and teach. And I think, you know, we're giving money to send radios or to, to bounce it off radios. And the way that presentation from Andy Baker goes is that every place on the globe can catch that with a little bit of radio. Well, I mean, an airplane would probably be nice, but what's an airplane cost? And what could you do with that money? Well, 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 3. We read, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth uh, will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. See, it's easy for us to fall into that, right? It's easy for us to look at that and say, that sounds good. Those are those earthly things that we kind of like to fall into that prosperity, as it were. We'll come back to it in a second. But we should adhere to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, right? That the sword of the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. That's what he said to the Ephesians right there. That should be what we use to teach, what we use to preach, what we use to fight against things that maybe aren't what we might believe. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Number three. Avoid world renown. If you are toiling for a crown, do all in the name of the Lord. Oh, do not trust in world renown. Do all in the name of the Lord. Now, God certainly wants us to work for him, right? We just read a few minutes ago that our deed, uh, the, the works that we do should be done for God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, we, say, we read, Therefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, there's work that has to be done. And I see people in this audience doing work every single day. Now, what is that work? Well, it's different for different people. There's different tasks that some of us can do better and some of us maybe aren't quite as good as. But those are work that certainly God wants for us to do. The reward of that is what we read there as a crown of life. That comes from the book of Revelation, right? Revelation 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have temptation, or excuse me, you will have tribulation 10 days. But he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. How many of you watched or saw it on the news or at least remember a few weeks ago when in England they crowned 
Charles, King Charles III. You might see that. <clears throat> for those coronations and for occasional things, they bring out what's called the crown, right? The crown jewels. Usually the king or queen is referred to as the crown, but they don't really walk around with that crown on their head. I'd say it's pretty heavy and it would weigh them down. But think about where that crown spends most of its time. Sort of tucked away, right? You have all this possession, all this worth, and it's in the Tower of London, I believe, in the museum, hidden to where you really can't even see it, you can't even wear it. Well, we're striving not for a crown on earth because those exist and people don't even want them, but instead for a crown of life. What does that mean? Well, in order to receive that reward, we have to become knowledgeable in the Word of God, right? We have to be less distracted by the things of the Word. See, this, to me, is the prosperity gospel right here. This is our faith, our positivity, our generosity. These are the tickets to a crown of life. I don't need the crown now. I don't need the mansion over a hilltop now. I don't need the plane now. I want to make sure that I have it then. And there's a big difference in those two things. Number four. Till toil and labors here are done, do all in the name of the Lord. Dear Christian friends, if you be one, do all in the name of the Lord. Now, when does our toil and labor end? Well, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says it's appointed for man once to die. After that, the judgment. We don't have that date written down. For some of us, it's sooner. For others of us, it'll be farther. But nobody knows, right? Nobody knows when that date's going to be. But we are taught that we're going to toil and labor until then. So if I don't know when my last day on earth is, when should I work? What's the song say? We'll work till Jesus comes, right? I should work now going forward. I should continue to work. And when that time is up, it'll be up. For the entire world, toil and labor will be done when Jesus returns, right? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing, what's it say? That anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? And so this desire of Jesus is, the desire of God is that we would not perish, that we would not die. Whenever that time is, that we would not die in this heaven, but instead be prepared and be working toward doing good for God. Have you ever been to a funeral where somebody lived for a long period of time? <clears throat> and the preacher or whoever was speaking said something to the effect of they were working for the Lord until the day they die. Well, the reality of that is they might have been 100 years old and they might have been limited as to the work that they could do. You might not be able to hammer a nail. You might be not be able to vacuum a floor. You might not be able to preach or lead singing or whatever to class. But what work were they doing? Well, for one, setting an example for others to follow as well. Because those folks there we're striving for a goal that they were close to achieving and we might be a little bit further down the line from achieving, but not willing that any should perish, 
but that all had the hope of repentance. If that person was 100 years old and somebody saw them living the Christian life, it might change the way that person lives. Does that work? It certainly would be. It was certainly valuable work as well. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prayed not for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The connection there between the two. We talked a bit about that this morning. But Jesus, by coming to the earth, living as a man, dying on the cross, built that bridge between us and God. A bridge that was not really there in the old law. There was a curtain that divided us, right? Only the high priest could go in behind it. That divide was ripped in two when Jesus died upon the cross. That opened the door for us. There shouldn't be division amongst us because there's no division between us and God either. Finish up. Acting in the name of the Lord is more than just doing what seems good to us. I hope we've hit that here tonight. I hope we've looked at every single point so far and it had a verse with it as well. That had a verse that you could refer back to. It's doing the will of the Father revealed in His Word. How many of you are familiar with Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22? In 23, Jesus says about near the end of the Sermon on the Mount here that he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into heaven, right? But he said, those that do the will of God. When we've seen the song, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That's what Matthew was talking about right there. Not because I want to, or not because we've always said it that way, but instead go back to that gospel and prove where it is, why it is, and what we should do if we're not doing just that. Our goal can be achieved through word or deed as God decreed doing all in the name of the Lord. If there's anything that we can do this evening to help you, any way that we can help you, if you need to be baptized, we can do that. If you need forgiveness of sins, if you just need to make some changes in life, whatever it may be, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.